please pray with me. Father God, Holy Spirit, breathe your winds upon these dry bones that they might come to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In the last days, our reading from Isaiah said, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the nations. Sounds important, doesn't it? Got a question for you. In the kingdom, are we individuals or are we a group, a people? <laughs> Wisely answered, my friends. Because it's both, isn't it? In the West, we tend to emphasize the individual more than the group. Uh, our brothers and sisters from other parts of the world, they, uh, they emphasize the group and not the individual. And so to them, we're kind of weird. And I think actually the, the milieu of the Scriptures, it was the group more than the individual. We all come to Christ as individuals and then we're incorporated into the group, His body, the church. And as I think about that... <clears throat> I know a few things about each of you. Even if every one of you were a total stranger to me, I'd still know a few things about you. For instance, I know that if you are in Christ today, you're a mixed bag. And so am I. I know that there were already some good qualities in you before you came to Christ. I also know that when Christ touched your life, some things, some things changed dramatically and for the good. But I also know this, that for most of us, just as there were some enemies who were left behind in the land of God's ancient people after the conquest, so there are also some temptations and weaknesses proclivity towards sin that are left in our lives even after we come to Christ. And that's why most of us are in a state of war within our own hearts, trying to do battle against those things that would drag us away from the Lord, those things that would drag us into sin. And something else I know about you, because this is true of all human beings, even if you don't want it to be true about you, it still is. You need other people in your life. Because that's how God made us. I know that God created each one of us to need Him and also to need other people. In the very beginning of the creation of humanity in Genesis 2:18, God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And of course we know that, that was the, the, the fruit of that statement was the creation of Eve, Adam's wife. But I also think it's a broader statement that just as human beings, we need one another. We are built, created to be social creatures. That's why we're born into families. You can see a, a, an infant. They latch on to faces. They want to see faces. They hear the voices, especially the voices of their parents. They interact. They respond. They track people as they walk around the room. 
We're created for interaction with other human beings. We're created to belong to something, a group bigger than ourselves. And of course, the archetypal family of all families is God existing in Trinity. Three persons and sharing one essence of divinity. And the archetype of all human families was Adam and Eve, bound as a family under God along with their children. And perhaps there's a sense of that import in this verse from Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's important that we all understand that throughout the history of time, God's plan has always been to have a people. A people committed to Him. A people obedient to Him. But a people. A group. Family. Abraham was just an individual. But he was chosen by God. He was set apart by God to become the father of... A nation? A group? God's own special people. God's people. Genesis 5.18 On that day the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham rather, and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. God has always wanted and has always been forming a people of His own, a group, a family. And people living in groups need organization. They have to have some structure. They have to have some rules to regulate their interactions. And yet every day, especially in my line of business, I meet people who tell me that they believe in God, and they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the organized church. They don't believe in organized religion. Well, the alternative, guys, is unorganized or disorganized religion. And that sounds like no fun at all to me. It sounds like confusion. Besides that, Scripture is clear that God loves organized religion. There's no getting around it if you read it with open eyes. The whole purpose of the book of Leviticus is to do what? To organize the worship of God in such a way that it's acceptable to Him. An entire book of the Bible committed just to organizing the religion. God loves organized religion. When it honors, worships, serves, obeys, listens to His voice. And God took that so seriously that in the Old Testament He even killed some of the people who willfully disobeyed what He said to do to organize the religion. And if you think that's just an Old Testament thing, I would ask you to consider Acts 5 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where He did it again. Because organized religion, when done right, is organized believers. 
It's organized people who love God. It's organized people who follow Him, who look to His hand for direction, who listen to His Spirit, who read His Word, who set out to obey. Why? Why be together? Why be organized? Because, because we need each other. God made us that way. We need each other because we are imperfect. We need each other because the imperfections in us is what make our life together necessary and important. Because we need each other for help. We need each other for encouragement. We need each other for faith. We need each other for hope. We need each other for instruction. We need each other because sometimes we can't do it ourselves. And so we reach out our hand to our brother and our sister for them to help pick us up and carry us when we can't get by. But guys, it's also those same imperfections that begin to make our life together challenging, difficult, even at times troublesome. Because in our imperfections, and our residual sinfulness, we sin against God, we sin against ourselves, we sin against one another. And we need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness of God and of one another. But still, despite that, God loves organized religion. He loves the church. When Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus told Peter in Matthew sixteen eighteen, Now I say to you that you are Peter... And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's the power of the church. The power of God's people working together. The power of God's people gathered together. You see, God really loves organized religion. God really loves the church. If nobody else in the world ever loves the church, God does. And you know, nowhere in Scripture is an individual human being, an individual believer ever called the body of Christ. It's only as the church, only as a group, only as a gathered body are we called the body of Christ. It's the members of the church together that form His body. When the risen Christ confronted Saul, the persecutor, the Scripture says this, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, Guys, Saul didn't persecute Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. But he persecuted the church. And Jesus said, Saul, when you persecuted the church, 
You persecuted me. That's how closely God identifies with His gathered people. When Saul had persecuted the church, he'd persecuted Christ Himself. And Saul never forgot that lesson after Jesus made him the Apostle Paul and set him forth to preach the gospel. And so in his letters, he told the churches that together, together we're the body of Christ, and each one of us are parts of His body. And all of these parts are necessary to function well. Some among us will be feet, and some among us will be ears, and some among us will be eyes, and some among us will be hands. But what happens when a a foot, or a hand, or an eye, or an ear isn't part of the body? How useful is it? If we're separated from the body, we're like a dismembered hand on the ground. What good? Think also of spiritual gifts that Paul writes about. Some people have more than one, but guys, Scripture makes it pretty clear none of us get all of them. Where will you find all of the gifts of the Spirit? When God's people come together. And each one has a gift that the other lacks. And together, we're the body of Christ. Together, we have the the gifts of the Spirit. Together, we can do the ministry that God calls us to do. Now let me change metaphors for a minute. Anybody besides me like to watch their nature programs? You know, here's the setting, the the savannas of uh, Africa, the the plains spreading out, and there's a a herd of gazelles or a herd of zebra, and uh uh-oh, here come the lions or here come the leopards. What's the goal? To separate one from the herd. They attack, they charge the herd, and then they find one, and they rope it off, and they push it aside. They, they herd it aside so that as an individual, they can overcome and kill that lone animal. And yet we have believers that willingly separate themselves from God's herd. First Peter 5.8 Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Is it any wonder, then, that in Scripture, the very highest punishment recorded in the New Testament, that a human being, an authority, ever meted out to anybody else, was what? Separate them from the body. Put them where God, where, excuse me, not where God, put them where the enemy will torment them so that they may repent and want to come back into the protection of the group. 
There's a protection over us as a church that is not over each of us as individuals. That's implied in that Scripture. If you want to check it out, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 5. But of course, the church isn't perfect. Do you remember when I said I knew something about each of us, that all of us are a mixed bag? Because each of us are a mixed bag, guess what happens when we come together? We're a mixed bag when we come together too. If we were perfect as individuals, then we could be perfect as a church. But we ain't there yet. Some of us, well, yeah, some of us have been hurt by churches. I know I have. And some of us have been those who have done some of the hurting. And to my shame, I have done that too. You see, the church is a gathering of redeemed sinners. But still, the church is God's best and only plan to take the gospel to the world. But still, the church is the Holy Spirit's best tool, along with the Holy Scriptures, to grow up and mature believers into the image of Christ. I don't know of anybody who separates themselves from the church and grows in Christ. I just haven't met one yet. And still, it is the church that Jesus said the gates of hell would never prevail against. God loves the church. Yes, we're sinful and flawed, but we're being redeemed. We're wounded, but we're being healed. We're broken, but we're being repaired. We're weak, but we're being empowered. We're fragmented, but we're still one in Christ. You may recall that I said early on that the archetypal family of all families is the Trinity. Three persons and one essence of divinity. And that the archetypal human family is Adam and Eve bound as a family under God along with their children. I think Scripture also shows us an ultimate family. And that ultimate family at the end of time occurs when the church as the bride of Christ is wedded to the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus, the Son of God at the wedding feast of the Lamb. You see, it's His body. It's His bride. It's the church for whom Christ returns. The church of God and people. We're it. We're part of it. Together we are far more than we are as lone individuals. We all need and we all must have our, our personal, private, and individual relations with Christ. But then, when we come together as His body, there's a presence, there's a glory, there's an excitement, there's a peace that we can never, never know until we fall at His feet in worship as the gathered people of God, as the church, as His body that He bought once and for all time with the price of His own shed blood. Beloved, beloved church of the living God, beloved body of the risen Savior, 
This is our identity as God's people. This is our destiny as God's people. This is our glory as God's people. Let us believe, hope, and live into that glorious reality together as His church. Because in the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. Amen.